He's Aaron. She's Liz. And, and we're, we're married to, to the, the idea. idea. Where uh, Liz and I uh, uh, sit down and talk about many different things that we enjoy, uh, that we just eat up, uh, including movies, literature, and uh, TV shows. Uh, t uh, TV show, or a couple of them, actually, being the basis for today's episode. Uh, we often take two points of perspective, hence the take two, because otherwise, listening to people gush about things they like would be rather boring unless we were famous, and we are not. Yeah, not at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, today, we are going to be kind of um, a little bit comparing, contrasting, kind of... I'm excited for this particular topic. Uh, yeah. I think Aaron is, too. Um, we, uh, the people, the shows that we were talking about today... We both love, adore, cannot get enough of. We love it to death. So when we criticize the hell out of it, beef, <laughs> it's from a place of love. Yeah, I understand that. We, this, uh, it takes someone who really, really appreciates the work to be able to point out the flaws. <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll necessarily state the flaws. What? Probably not. We're probably but, just gonna gush, but uh, we're gonna yeah. try and have two differing opinions as we discuss uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender versus The Legend of Korra. Dun dun dun! Uh, so you know, as, uh, as last you... time in the Take Two podcast, <laughs> Aaron and Elizabeth had different opinions on Treasure Island iterations. Now they seek to reconcile. Will this be the time that they finally come to terms with each other? I know you're going for the uh, the announcer from uh, Legend of Korra, but that was almost uh, uh, last week on Dragon Ball Z. Oh God, no, <laughs> no! So tell me how they know. <laughs> so uh, again, we um, we devoured. God, we devoured the first series. That we watched that Avatar. during college, I believe, because whenever you would yeah. come over to visit me in Savannah, we would watch, <laughs> devour episode after episode of Avatar. I remember Avatar. one night, we were like, we were going to go out for dinner. We decided not to go out, but to order pizza to the hotel and watch episodes. We watched it probably till like 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. Back when we weren't so old. We could stay up past 10. <laughs> yeah. No. To be uh, fair, we are recording this past 10. 10.05, so we made it. Yeah, somehow. I, <laughs> and I, I don't know how I'm going to stay up this late. But, uh, <laughs> so, there's, um, there's a lot to talk about with this. Um, and it's going to be hard to kind of really compare the two because Korra is a sequel series, but they it's do a lot be, on their own. I think we're going to try and do the same thing that we did with our Gilmore Girls episode, which is spoilers ahead. We're oh. going to be talking about plot lines, villains, major story arcs. So yes. please go watch the show anyway because it's great. But yes, absolutely. definitely be caught up. Like That's why we won't do a Steven Universe until Steven Universe is done because it would not oh, be fair God, to yeah. start at any oh. given point in that show. Plus without... we have to get caught up on we Steven Universe first. We do have first. to get caught up. So definitely, um, so definitely check out Avatar and Korra before you listen to this. But we are just gonna talk about. I think we're gonna try and do it like Gilmore Girls, where we talk about um, what each show does right and wrong with the characters, our favorite moments, our favorite things about it, what could have been improved and changed. So um, the settings 
of both are similar, but actually could not be any more different. I find them so wildly different, and I love that. It would have been so easy for Korra to stay in the same sort of area that Avatar had. I mean, Avatar goes all over the entire world, and you figure you've seen the whole world now. But then Korra smartly decides, let's just focus in on this one city. And it's not like they or don't this travel. One, yeah, or this one uh uh, aspect of the spirit world. Well, actually, that's actually I disagree with you on that because Korra, what an enormous shock. Cora, <laughs> Cora actually does travel quite a bit. She doesn't travel nearly as much. the The series for Cora does not travel nearly as much as Avatar or uh, the Last Airbender. We can, you know, T L. A.S.? Right. I think we're going to have to call it Last Airbender. Last Airbender. Uh, Korra versus Last Airbender. Uh, Last Airbender traveled almost every freaking episode, going to new worlds, trying to discover things, and, you know, meet people and all that good stuff. And it was, and it really, really worked. But Korra did try to focus on the setting of Republic City, but they still traveled. I think what you're, what you're thinking is, is, the setting itself, while it's a little bit more based around one city versus the entire world, it's more so um, the time periods are different. Oh, you're right. It's not about setting. Is not just a where. It is also a when. Exactly, and that was a big thing that the Korra series did for such a long time to have passed at decades. Yeah, literally. Ang. Um, so. Uh, in the, the first series, um, I guess we should kind of do a quick yeah. overview. So the first series idea is that there is an avatar who embodies all four elements. And a uh, hundred years previous to the start of the show, the avatar vanished. And avatar is supposed to bring balance to the world. And without him, the world fell into chaos. They find the avatar and he has to go around because he's a 12-year-old boy. He has to go around and travel the world and learn all the things he didn't get to learn because he was lost in a ball of ice before he could learn all that. So he has to learn how to become the Avatar in this time of great strife in this world. And there is a Fire Kingdom, which is attacking. There is an Earth Kingdom. There is a uh, Water Tribe, North and South Pole. And then the Air Temple Nomads, which have been wiped out to extinction by this point. Literally, when they, they say the last Airbender, they mean uh, Aang, who is the Avatar, is literally the last Airbender of the in the entire world. so Which is really nice to bring up in Korra because at that point, he, with being the only airbender, you wonder how is the race ever going to come back from this. And they, they cleverly work in the idea of with the spirit world being out of balance, more and more people awakening to these powers outside of just the direct descendants of Aang. Yeah, and that was um, that was a neat thing that they did. So there was... There was um, uh, the first, what the first, the, the first series is a kid series that adults can absolutely appreciate. The second series is a little bit more teen base, I would say, and therefore not adults. Yeah, not just in the characters, our main characters that we follow along, but also in the themes oh, that yeah. it explores. We we'll get into the themes and the difference in uh, <laughs> stories as we go, but there is a marked difference. Yeah, in in. The show creators for uh, The Last Airbender came back for Korra. So it wasn't yeah. like it was new people taking this concept and reworking it. It's the same people just showing, okay, well, this is what, you know, this is literally a sequel that we are producing. So um, 
the so the first one is a little is more um, feudal um, era. You know, they don't really have electronics. Yeah, you're um, per se. When we first meet the Water Tribe, they are living a Eskimo uh, Aleutian like uh, experience at the poles of the world. When we get to the North Pole, we discover that they have more of a kingdom set up, but it's still blocks of ice over bridges. It's there's no real the Fire Nation are the only ones who really use like metal as a for warring purposes, like tanks and things like the boats that crash through ice. Yeah, your the, um, um your Earth Kingdom is more of a like a like a Middle Kingdom from China kind of feels yeah, like yeah. where it's um. The uh, the upper crust live in the center of the city, and then the farmers and the and the poor live yeah, in surrounding as you go, areas. As you go out in the outer rings of the Earth Kingdom, the uh, the more and more poor they they get. So the Earth Kingdom it's kind of like a precursor to the ideas that are explored in Korra. I feel like because yeah, the kind of the idea of class and everything like that. Previous to that, you only had you know your Fire Nation, the Warring Nation. Um, and the the nomads of the Air Temple and the Temple Tribesmen of the Water Clans. So then to see the Earth Kingdom, where it's like Aang's first confronted with the idea of, wait a minute, you know, these are your people. Why do you separate yourselves? Why do you live so apart from them? And that's something that gets explored, the idea of that in yeah. Korra. So, and like, it's a little bit more simplistic, I think because they came up with the idea and they had they only had time to explore certain areas of it whereas time passed between the end of the last airbender and Korra like in real time um I would say it was a couple of years at the minimum a few, a few years decades when... no 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 no, oh, no, no, no no in real time in, oh in yeah real time. In, yes that, in, the, what, in the real world remember yeah I said real time but, sorry uh, I got yeah. lost uh, did you say real time Aaron yes, real time real time real okay. time uh, real time real talk uh <laughs> but uh they had, uh, in real time, they had time between the end of one series and the beginning of the next. So they had time to think about, oh, what are more areas we want to explore? What are more, um, co- how deeper can we make the concept go? It also makes it more episodic. The three seasons of, of Avatar The Last Airbender tell one cohesive story. It's yeah. The, the <laughs> agenda from the beginning is to stop the Fire Nation, which is to stop the Fire Lord, and how can we train Aang up in all four of these elements before it's time for him to stop him. And it all feeds into that, whereas Korra, each season is a different story a different villain a different class which is again i think has something to do with them being afraid of being canceled at any given moment so they had to make sure they were contained each time yeah after the first after the first season because they literally the first season ends almost like like it's the end of the series yeah so uh but what happens is the the they then got renewed for three more seasons, but even still, they kind of ended in a way that they're like, if they didn't come back, it wouldn't be terrible. Um, which even the fourth season ended in one of those ways, like if they could continue the series if they Definitely. wanted to. However, they it's still. It, right now is the end of the series. So. I definitely liked the final well, season. But, so, um, in The Last Airbender. You know, only one airbender trying to take down the Fire Lord. The uh, Legend of Korra is a little bit more complex, as you were kind of getting into, with um, having the, the uh, Aang is now uh, 
uh, gone. He is now deceased. And the new avatar is a young woman named Korra, who they figured out very young that she is the avatar because very quickly does she show that she can master, I think it's like all four or at least three of the four. The only one that eludes her for the majority of the first season is, is air. air. That's right, that's right. So she can do earth, water, and fire very quickly. Because she's a um, she's much more explosive, volatile person. She, yeah. She's much more power-driven person, so air bending escapes very her, complete her. So. Yeah, so all these forces, the you know, wind... Uh, uh, fire and water and earth, those are all explosive forces, but air is a much more subtle art that she is unable to do. So she goes to who else but Tenzin. Uh, Tenzin, who is Aang's uh, eldest son. I think he's the eldest. He's, he is, uh, Aang had three children, a waterbender, a airbender, and um, uh, a, a human. A, a, a non-bender. Um, I believe they had a term for that. Um, well, as you keep going... Um, um, uh, the equal or no, and yeah, well, not anti benders, but someone who who doesn't have who doesn't bending have ability, any, yeah, exactly. Just a human. So, um, the uh, the funny part of that is, um, later on in the series, he actually develops powers, which is kind of interesting. There creates kind of a dynamic because Tenzin is very uptight, very the um, voice acting is incomparable. J.K. Simmons probably is one of the best additions because in the original series um the with the last airbender there are some really good voice in fact we'll get into that a little bit later because that's making a note of it um that is a <laughs> great point because there are some fantastic voice acting on both sides um so uh Getting back into the, just the whole kind of story, she has to go to a place called Republic City that was established by Aang. Um, and Zuko. And Zuko. Uh, Zuko is the the son of the Fire Lord who starts off as an enemy and becomes uh, an ally. Um, Zuko ends up being um, uh, a very peaceful leader after his father is taken from power. So There's a great... Uh, sorry, uh... I'm going to interrupt you this once, I promise. <laughs> uh, there is this um, interesting comparison, which I'm... It's going to sound weird. But when Gilmore Girls' Year in the Life came back after being so long... No, listen, Keep I promise. I promise there's a reason for this. When Year in the Life came back after such a long hiatus in real time between the two, any time a character you recognized came back, it felt like a callback. Like, oh, look, remember this character, how much you liked him? Here they are again. But they never felt like they had any real bearing on the plot or essentiality. Yeah. However... Because, like, when Jackson came back, he, he came back for five minutes at that And then it was just, was bye. Like, yeah. You were just, you were literally there to give everyone a moment to squee. Yeah. Whereas in Legend of Korra, every time you finally get to see a character like Zuko finally appear oh, back... Oh, God. That was season three, I want to say. That one was great. He has a bearance on the plot. He is important to the movement of the plot. And it's not just a, oh, look, we remember this character. He's back now. It's yeah. it's just a, war it's a, it's a wonderful feeling to have. And it feels useful as opposed to just a throw out to fans. So there... Um... So, with, uh, like, how you were talking about with the first series, how the the story from season one to season three is pretty much one cohesive story. There are subplots beyond that, and there are even more, there are sub-subplots beyond that. However, with Korra, um, it's a lot more... 
each season is almost self-contained, but and it's each about time it tackles a different issue. Exactly, and uh, how Cora can grow from it, how Cora can become more of a leader. Because at the end of the first season, she does uh, become able. She learns how to face her fears a little bit more. Um, she learns how to you know take advice and get help. But she also does learn how to airbend at the end. The second se season is about family and mm -hmm. um, and and about spirits because that because in the first uh, series with Last Airbender, the first time we saw was, spirits was the uh, giant panda bear. Yeah, there's there's a couple like they explored the spirit world, but not nearly as they like not they nearly delved 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 into all it of season the, two felt like just explaining the spirit world, which was. Yeah. a crazy cool unique thing because you had seen it before with uh with Ka not Ka or Kai the uh the face stealer yeah because he actually has to go into the spirit world to do that and I think what happens is they were afraid to explore it as much as they did it the, might have gone over some kids head they would have exactly. gone real esoteric whereas, fast whereas with uh Legend of Korra they like they were like yeah Oh, let's go back to the spirit world real quick, you know. And by the time that uh, season two ends, the spirit world is completely broken open and yeah. harmonic conversions has happened and now everything is on top of each other and no one knows how to deal with each other. Yeah. And so uh, season three is about dealing with, I mean, it's literally called book three change. So it's dealing with <laughs> having these, um, these characters, um, all the characters having to deal with this emergence of spirits being, uh, having new powers developed. Airbenders um, popping up everywhere. Exactly. They actually go, start going around trying to recruit all the airbenders to come learn about how to be an airbender and be, you know, to rebuild the air temple nation. Exactly. So, um, uh, and then book four, Ooh, book four is good, but it is probably the weakest of the series seasons. You know, I might have said that before, but a lot happens in this that I, it's, it's satisfying and compelling to see certain arcs go the way they do. It, yeah, which there's one is, big one that I'm like, yes, absolutely. It is awesome, also awesome, awesome, but we didn't get to see that. We saw this. Uh, I mean, this ser the series ended a couple of years ago. It's been done for a while. It's, yeah, we, I would challenge you that it uh, season four now has more relevance in today's political climate. Uh, kinda, yes, I get what you mean. Now. Yes, I. Uh, I don't want to make it better. Though. No, no, no. I don't want to say that. And I don't want to say that. Oh, bring politics and everything. But it is a lot stronger. You, it's it's easier to see this as something that actually happens as opposed to just being like, oh, this is just a tyrant, and we wouldn't ever let tyrants like this exist in the world. And she's wrong, and we know she's wrong when she does make good points, and we do have someone who. Well, okay, so we'll kind of jump in. You're talking about that just a little bit. So, uh, that's season, what I do in season three, you see a general because, um, the, uh, in the original series, um, earth benders can only bend earth. They are actually put on a metal ship at one point because there's no earth around them or earth benders who are like being held at prisoner or who are prisoners of the fire nation mm -hmm. are held on a metal ship. Um, but in the, uh, things like the second or third season of, um, The Last Airbender, uh, the main Earthbender, uh, Toph, 
learns how to metal bend. She teaches herself how to metal bend. What a great part of that original series. Like, what a, it's such a unique and interesting concept that it, it feels so natural the minute it happens. Like, why hasn't anyone else ever tried this? The yeah. very first to figure out that metal at its core, like, you know, the entire, it has the elements of earth within it. It has those dirts and minerals that all make up metal. Yeah, and it's, it is very cool. And, um, uh, but by the way, Toph is blind, so she's able to sense things more clearly than other Earthbenders. So she, she actually she feels the vibrations in the earth. Yeah, so she's she's a very dynamic character. She's a great very, character, and she does show up in Korra she to does help show. break Korra out of her funk. <laughs> yeah, there um, there is a lot of um, good. That happens in both series, but I, again, I guess we're, I'm just trying to get a synopsis out. Uh, season four, um, the end of season three of Korra, uh, something very drastic happens to Korra, and she's actually dealing with PTSD. Oh yeah, um, which is very tough for her uh, that she has to deal with this, but at the same time, she's very. Um, uh, there, there, there's kind of a core problem, and we'll talk about this just a little bit. Um, but the whole se the season isn't bad, but it's definitely the weakest of the three or of the four. Excuse me. The first one is good because it it establishes the world very well. There's a lot more dynamic humor in it, um, and the character, some of the side characters change throughout the other two seasons but when they're in just in season one they're they're, they're handled better I, i'd have to say so uh the fourth season the final season um you they do have some points with the arcs but it's kind of the weakest of the four so i'm not sure i agree with you on that one um if not then it's definitely three <laughs> you find three to be the weakest uh, it can be the oh no no i'm sorry no no cause, no, no, no. Cause, uh... two sorry two i was i had them mixed up uh, two is the weakest, if not four. I'm I'm still holding true to the four. Wait, so. you know, I think we're gonna like the exact opposite. So let's well, let's break let's break down a few things. Um, I actually wanted to bring up some points that some other fans and critics of the shows have noted, uh, especially in comparing the two, and get what uh your thoughts on it are. Um, here is one of the uh, thoughts I have. Um, and that other people have had the romance. In the I, in the first in Avatar: The Last Airbender, the romance what is romance? one exactly. <laughs> it's it is the weakest part of the show. It is the weaker part of that show in comparison yeah. to every other character development. It always feels like some sort of rom commy thing whenever they try to play it off for last. And I get that they're kids, but the whole will they won't they thing feels really weird in this particular story arc. And it is kind of rushed. Um, the okay, so the main character Aang. Um, has uh, what is called Team Avatar, which starts <laughs> off being uh, just um, him, Katara, uh, Katara and Sokka. And uh, Katara and Sokka are brother and sister from the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, Sokka is um, kind of a hand-to-hand. -hand, he's or no, he's a tactical expert, or he becomes kind of a tactical expert. He's he's the plan maker. Katara is a waterbender, but she's also kind of the mother-ish person of the the group um they are later joined by Toph who we've talked about the uh the blind earthbender um and Ta uh, Katara teaches Aang how to waterbend um 
to an extent. He kind of because water and air kind of flow similarly. He he's well. able. He's able to learn it quickly. Um, um, Earth, he learns from net, Toph, from and Toph. then eventually Zuko joins the group. Yeah. He becomes a good guy, which is probably my favorite thing about the entire series is that Zuko has the most uh, compelling, interesting, and wonderful character arc eventually. Yeah, and truth- it's so wonderful to see a bad guy that you love to hate become a good person and a good guy. Truth truth be told, um, Zuko is probably the most dynamic character in the whole series, maybe besides Aang. Maybe so. So the romance, there's, yeah. there's a cute romance between uh, uh, Suki and, uh, and uh, Sokka. Sokka, yeah. They, they, they are adorable together. Yeah, they like go. They kind of do, like, they have an episode where they kind of get romantic, and then they, they then she did, like, then nothing else happens and then he meets this girl who is the princess of the northern water tribe who also turns out to be a reincarnation of the moon god the moon spirit the yeah. moon spirit and turn and so uh she is uh at the end of season one is returned to the moon so she can help uh regain or help uh control the balance of the the two well, worlds. The moon spirit live yeah exactly so they. Um, so the romance for the side characters yeah. we find pretty compelling. Zuko and uh, his girl and Mai. Mai. Yeah. <laughs> but the, all that being said, Aang and Katara could have worked a lot better. Yeah. Do you find the romance believable in Korra? Oh. Oh, it's so, tricky, isn't it? So ha- something that's weak that has problems. Something that's like almost a bad that has a ton of problems there are times where the romance is the romance is human and believable and there are times when it is so forced i don't know from the very beginning i don't know why it's her and mako that are destined to get together because bolin is the biggest sweetheart he is so nice, and but that's the whole. That's the problem. Is, is it, it, the nice guys finish last? Well, that's what I hate. That that's what they didn't do in Avatar. They didn't have Katara actually end up liking Zuko, even though everyone wanted them to. Yeah, because like, Zuko's a bad the, boy and she's a good girl. Like they never went for that, even though a lot of ships thought that. Uh, <laughs> a lot of shippers thought that, but with this one, it seems like a weird pace backwards. Like let's stick with the bad boy and Katara. Uh, no, I'm sorry. And Korra is not a. Oh, I like bad boys kind of person. She's a she is a bad boy. She's a she's a bad girl. She already has the strength. I feel I feel she and Bolin would have been very good uh, together. If they wanted to show kind of like an opposite opposites attract type thing or to show like how that could work, yeah, I don't think they should have been. I'm, I'm glad they did not end up together and I'm glad they didn't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Oh, I do time, appreciate that. It wasn't like a will they won't they thing. It was like they tried it, it didn't work, and they it almost seemed adult at that point. That they're like, he didn't handle it in an adult way, but the idea that they didn't have to end up together just because they once dated. Yeah. It was nice. And like her and Mako kind of end up at the end of the first season, but at the same time, they don't last. They. And he even tries to date uh, another of the the side characters. Um, Asami. Asami. Asami um, is a great character. Asami starts as a terrible character and then grows into a much great, like Zuko in yeah. a way. Like you want to hate her, but then after a while, you're like, oh, I see now. That was 
you know, a little rich girl living from the wrong side of the tracks, you couldn't possibly understand, and then you slowly begin to realize, oh, wait, no, she's totally believable and likable <laughs> and really uh, nice and going through her own shit and never treats people like crap because of romantic entanglements, which is what Mako does, like, all the time. Like, I can't talk to you, Cora, because we used to date, and now it has to be awkward between us. Yeah, there's some, um... The romances further along down the line do better... I think the show's not not about romance. Either of them. Yeah, and, 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 and that... So... I'm I'm glad with that then, because if this isn't the focus of either of these series, then yeah, I'm okay with it being the weakest part. Sometimes the humor gets a little childish in the first series, um, and sometimes there's not enough humor in the second series. But like, truth be told, the storytelling and the atmosphere make up for it. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, the the yeah, I would agree the romance is the weakest part of this whole thing, but that's that's okay. So, kind of going back to the voice actor part, because yeah. uh, we've kind of established some of the characters. Um, the the main cast for the first series, the only recognizable uh, voice character for the, for the... Or, no, I'm sorry, the main two... Uh, the only two recogni- recognizable voice casts for the main characters of The Last Airbender is uh, Mae Whitman for Katara and Dante Brasco for Zuko. Bosco. No, sorry, Bosco uh, for Zuko. Mae Whitman was in, uh, you may have seen her in Scott Pilgrim, uh, uh, where she was... In uh, t- a ton of other things. Uh, number four, I believe. Yeah, yeah, she was number four. Um, she was X also yeah. Uh, she was also Anne in Arrested Development. Uh, she's done a ton of other voice work. Uh, whereas Dante Basco, you would best know him as Rufy. Oh, <laughs> uh, he uh, he's a delight. God, he's so he cool. is a national treasure. <laughs> he is. Um, even though he's from the Philippines, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, he is very, very cool in this role, and he, he brings a lot of depth to a character that could have easily been a one-note thing. They kind of make fun of him in a very late episode where they make fun of everybody. I think one of my favorite episodes of the original series has to be the Fire the Ember Island Players. Yeah, because it... Cause, it's gosh, so good. It is so good. So good. How could you say that, Uncle? I will not rest until I have the Avatar. Well, I will not rest until I have some pie. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger question is, what's up with that hair? Like, it's so it, they they play up some of these scenes for laughs. They poke so much fun at. Did, they did, poke fun at themselves. Did Jet just die? Like it's 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 it was a perfect opportunity. It's almost like a clip show for the creators to make fun of themselves. But it was so good, so funny. But so Dante Vasco plays uh, Zuko. It's actually funny uh, because Mae Whitman and Dante Vasco were um, voices in another show together, Um, Jake Long, American Dragon. Yep. American Dragon, Jake Long. Uh, where Dante Basco played the title character of Jake Long, and Mae Whitman played a love interest named Rose. <laughs> so it's it's a very interesting uh, connection. There's some uh, there is some other great voice work. Uh, Iroh. Uh, Iroh is actually played by Mako, the uh, the Mako. actor until uh, Mako Mako until his 
passing. Yeah, he actually passed in the middle of, uh, I want to say thirds. Third, because they do a wonderful four, oh. four perspective episode. Yeah. Um, um, it's I think it's actually the second season because that's when they're in the Earth Kingdom. Yeah, so it is. And the second they do season. this wonderful little homage for Iroh to his uh, son that he lost in the war, and at the end of it, they you couldn't realize that it was actually an homage to the voice actor of Mako. Yeah. Uh, and they even say this episode is dedicated to Mako. So, so um, and the replacement, he does a very good job too. Yes, yeah, I, I actually didn't realize there was a replacement for a little oh, while. Oh yeah, no, so. me either. He did a very good job. So, uh, uh, so Iroh is voiced by. Uh, so it's Mako in real life and Mako on the show. No, there's no Mako. There, oh, in Korra, yeah, there's a character. Yeah, because Korra, Korra there's one of the main secondary characters, or one of the main there's, characters there's is Korra. named for Mako, because he's named Mako oh. for the voice. Yeah, didn't you remember that? I did not think, I didn't make the connection, people, that's why Aaron's here, that's why he gets paid big bucks. <laughs> Wait, you get paid? <laughs> so, oh, crap, I should have said that on the camera. <laughs> equal pay. <No. laughs> so, Hashtag. Uh, Men deserve equal pay. So, um, there's there's some there's a ton of other like great kind of one off characters. Um, there's a general for the Fire Nation in the original uh, or the, the the original series for the first season, uh, played by Jason Isaac of um, Harry Potter fame. Yep. Uh, he he was uh, Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. Uh, he did a great job, but but it all comes down. Like, uh, there's a couple like typical voice actors. Gray Delisle, I think. Plays, no, I'm thinking of someone else. But she's a voice actress that you hear a lot. Um, she's the one that the, did um, Vicky, I think. Um, well, but the voice, anyways, the kid voice actors are good. No yeah. one sounds like an annoying kid actor in this. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of kids. And there's plenty of opportunities for them to do that. So, um, but the main bad guy, Fire Lord Ozai. Ozai. Is played by none other than the great Mark Hamill. And I didn't know that. See, I'm blowing minds everywhere. Boom, boom, boom. Are those fireworks or mind explosions? Who can tell? <laughs> so there's, um, so he played, and again, it's almost like the Joker where you don't expect it, you don't really hear it at first, and it's he does such a great job with it. Let's talk about him as a villain because we're there are, if we're gonna say it there are six villains about this entire run of this whole thing there are people like the pirates and there are other small and um oh and uh, sorry there are more villains well let's talk about uh the well we gotta finish with the voice cast stuff first oh my gosh can't we just talk about things i want to talk about <laughs> can't we just talk about azula Azula was a great villain, but we'll, we'll come back. We're, uh -huh. We've got to talk about villains, because I know, I, and I will try to limit myself to the one villain for the second series. Okay. So, uh, so with the, the voice acting on the second side of things, they have a little bit more talent. They've, they've, they have a little they have bit more. They have the money. Cool. Yeah, they, exactly. So um, as, we, as we mentioned, Tenzin is voiced by J.K. Simmons of Spider-Man, J. Jonah Jameson fame. Perfectly cast. God, perfect cast. Um, <laughs> actually... Uh, um, there is another, there's actually a voice actress who plays his wife, who, uh, is played by Maria Bamford, who is a stand-up comedian, and she is hilarious. If you ever want to hear someone who does incredibly, uh, detailed voices, she is the person to check out, but she's, she does a lot of stuff about mental health, too, which is great. Um, uh, played by Maria Bamford, uh, uh, 
the woman who played Frau, uh, no, not, uh, the, the Frau character from, um, the Austin Powers series, she plays, uh, the Republic City police chief. Um, Bei Fong. Yeah, Bei Fong, who is Toph's daughter. Um, and they're non-speaking terms. Nope. I love that the, the first starts off, I don't get along with my mother. I'm like, ah! We're not going to see you <laughs> then! Ah, first series! <laughs> um, and then uh, the, uh, the the main voice cast, uh, Katara is voiced by someone who's done some work in the past. Um, the gentleman who plays Bolin, uh, he has done some work as well. He was actually in the uh, the most recent Final Destination movie. Kind of interesting. Uh, Mako is actually played by the kid from Married with Children. Uh, no. Yes, he is. Uh, David Faustino. Huh. Um, and then PJ... Oh, Mindy Sterling. That's who I was trying to think oh, of. Oh, then there's Dee Bradley Baker, of course. Oh, of course. Um, Janet Varney played Cora. Uh, but D, uh, PJ Byrne played Bolin, which was kind of funny. Uh, but I have to bring up uh, two specific people uh, because... Or wait, who's the second one? I know who the first one is, but who's the second one? Oh, well, uh, David... Dante Bosco comes back as a kind of a recurring character. He's not as de he's not as much in the, the second series. Well, he's, as still, he's, he's still his character. He's still Zuko as an older... No, he's not. No, he, that's played by a completely separate actor. I heard his voice in it. The actor does a good job. No, the, the actor... Uh, no, Dante Basco plays Zuko's son Oh, the, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, he comes as a descendant of himself. Yeah, yes. yeah he, it, so it's kind of interesting. There's almost like it's reincarnation cute. with that, it's too. It's very cute. Uh, but this actress here, uh, Saichel Gab Gabriel, who played Asami Sato... Mm -hmm. Um, she is the only good thing, well, not the only good thing, but she has a very interesting connection to the Avatar series before. What's that? She actually played, um, the, the girl who becomes the moon spirit. Aww. In the movie. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, so in the movie that shall not be named because it was terrible and awful and just the worst piece of crap ever. And we will not be watching it to review it God, alongside no. this. I, you can you can request that all you want. It's never going to happen. It's not worthwhile. It's it, not worth no. your time. Here's my review of it. It's terrible. His name is not Ung. <laughs> the guy from Twilight is not Sokka. Uh, Sokka. So I thought that was always kind of a neat little connection. So. That is interesting. I had no idea. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's some great voice acting, and there's some other people I'm, I'm definitely forgetting right now, like, some of the villains are voiced by great people, um, and, uh, there are, um, some other characters that are introduced later on that are voiced, uh, by some, some fantastic, uh, people, but, uh, speaking of the villains... Oh, villains. They about, are my favorite. How about you take the original series and I'll take the uh, the Korra. All right, cool. Um, so the cool thing about the villains in the original is the 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 first we see of the Fire Lord is in the really great first season episode where we take a simultaneous look at Aang's past and Zuko's past and reveal how both our hero and our antagonist actually had. Um, 
these these paths that would lead them to actually be friends in another life. It shows how similar the two are, which is a great thing to do, especially in your first season, to just show how the thing, how this one person chasing another person, how in another lifetime they could have been friends. That's one of my uh, favorite episodes of that series. Um, but uh, the first time I see the Fire Lord, he's completely just hidden in, in flame and shadow. We see nothing of him. He is scary as all get out. We don't actually see his face until the third season, I am quite sure of. Uh, second season, but we don't, like, you see his body. He's just a, he's just a shadow. He's a myth. He's a wraith. He, he could be anything. He, yeah, he is the um, Sauron of the series. Exactly. But by the time that uh, we do see him and it rolls around, um, he becomes, ironically, by actually showing him to be a, a human, he becomes more terrifying. He's a human that possesses this great, terrible power and has got an entire nation to fight behind him. Sort of, you know, the same way that we don't want our, our truly terrible people in history to be humans. We want them to be monsters because it's easier to demonize and vilify. He is the son or grandson of the, uh, the Fire Lord who attacked everything. Because, remember, there was a whole thing. Oh, yes. I remember. I remember they're talking about the uh, Avatar backstories, all the different Avatars that had to deal with all the different people. I don't remember, to be quite honest. Um, but as far as villains go, we kind of focus on a different villain in each uh, season, as it turns out, for uh, Avatar. Because in the first one, it is all about uh, Zuko. And in the second one, it's all about Azula. And the third one, it's, it's all about the Fire Lord. Which, it's kind of interesting because that's all... They're building they're, up. Yeah, they're the whole... It's that family, the the ones who are in control, if you will. Yeah. I appreciate... I think, of them all, my favorite as a character has to be Zuko. Because I appreciate his story arc. I appreciate how he comes to find that the people... That his, his family... He, he, he does reclaim his honor. He goes back to them. And, and while he's there, he really... Honor, honor, <laughs> honor, honor, honor. But honor, while honor. there, he realizes that, wait a minute, this is everything I wanted, and yet I still have nothing of what I wanted. I am on the wrong side of history, which is a really fantastic trait for a character. Um, the Fire Lord is crazy intimidating when it finally gets to the final confrontation with Aang. Like, that battle takes up an entire episode, because that final four-part episode, an entire part of that it is just that fight. Yeah, because it is so oh. intense, and you need every second of it. Every every second, and him destroying the entire Earth Kingdom before that. Like, it's all crazy good. But I gotta say, as far as villains I love to hate... It's gotta be Azula. Azula. She is an unstoppable demon with no remorse, oh. no redemption, who goes slowly insane under her own uh, weight of her own power and hubris. She is devilish and evil, and I love it. Uh, uh, Ozai is to um, Bane as. Uh, Azula is to Joker. I do enjoy that comparison. The um, it is she is a very, just. She is Umbridge. You love to hate her. You um, want to see more of her. You want her to get her comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Oh God, yeah. You like every moment that she's like plotting and even just talking to her. She's like, what a juicy character to be. That's, that's yeah. That's a great term. She is the see. juiciest character in this entire series. She has the most wickedly devilish lines. I think the yeah. the, pro, the if I and I was right. It is great, Delisle. Mm -hmm. If uh, Ozai is definitely the more 
intimidating, threatening thing that has to be dealt with at the end. He is definitely yeah. the, the bigger bad. He, he, yeah, he is the Voldemort. Yeah, he is the big bad. Then, then she's like Bellatrix Lestrange, uh, just constantly saying, "I killed Sirius Black." Ha ha. Yeah. Um, but she, you get to. She's a mix between uh, uh, Bellatrix and Umbridge. I would, I would say. She gets know. to, um, you get to experience her. You get to have her follow and chase these characters for so long oh, that she God. feels she's, like the main antagonist. She, she is like much more intensely. Um, uh, in tune with them, like she can find them so much easier. The scene where it's just her on those lizards, just chasing them without sleep, without rest, just after again and again and again. Yeah, it is crazy good. She is uh, a real compelling person, and then I think that the whole idea about uh, just her going insane under the weight of her power with the visions of her mother coming back to tell her, I love you. And she's like, I, she can't take it. She can't deal with it. She, she starts like her, firing everybody. She loses her damn mind. There, there's a interesting point. Um, there's actually a kind of a comparison. Her power is so much more intensely higher than Zuko's. That her firebending is blue. Yeah, because if you look at a flame, like an actual flame, not a fire, but like a flame, um, there's the, the red and the orange and the yellow, but there's also a little blue, and that is going to be the more intensely hot. Um, that, is actually, that is actually the, like the hotter part of the fire and so when you see Zuko with just you know normal kind of a red fire um the blue like that she has is more intensely more of an intense hot or mm -hmm. you know a heat um, yeah so I thought it was kind of interesting plus she knows the lightning method which is actually in this point in the series a very dangerous and hard to control method. Only Iroh as the dragon has managed to perfect this particular technique. Even Ozai, he pretty much just uses fire as opposed yeah. to lightning. And um, Zuko actually has to learn how to uh, control the lightning and how to... Um, Redirect it. Yeah, there you go. And how, how incredibly nice it is to have Katara be the one to take her down in the very end. To chain her up underwater, move through ice, ice her down, and then move through the ice to chain her up. There's just something so, it's it's very satisfying in a very cool way. Like Zuko defeated her, but uh, Katara was the one that like made the, did the final blow. Exactly. So the, I, I I don't think, and I don't think Aang doing it. Um, in fact, Aang doing what he did with Ozai. Holy, oh my god, that's How right. much more of a perfect ending could you have? There, I don't think there is a more perfect ending you could have. I think that brings it to one more point. Mm -hmm. uh, sea Lion, Turtle, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, is god, it a yeah. cop-out? Is it a cop-out? No. Because we've been debating because... this for issues, for seasons. We've been debating how is he going to defeat the Fire Lord if he doesn't want to kill. Because he is a, he, um, because he is an air nomad. He is a monk. So he doesn't believe in... Like he in harming in harming people, but he'll fight people if he needs to. But the thing is, is he does not believe in killing, not even a little bit. And they yeah. debate this. He has no idea because all it's been is train, train, train. Because then one day you will have to fight the Fire Lord. But Aang's been hoping this whole time that he can reason with this man who cannot be reasoned with. Yeah. And if it comes to and that's Zuko says it when it comes to my father, what do you what will you do if you don't kill him? There is nothing else you can do. And it's very, uh, it is, it is a little bit of a deus ex machina, but what we learn in the second series actually helps bring it more into a, uh, a, 
less of a deus machina. That deus does feel machina. true because of the uh, attention to the spirits in mm -hmm. the in Korra. It doesn't seem quite so much like that. It it is a way out to be sure, but it's a way out that makes sense of the universe as they continue to expand it. Right then, it might have felt a little bit like. Well, I give you the ability to take his powers away. And I do appreciate that even when they give him that power, there's no guarantee that it'll actually work. Because he almost gets overcome by Ozai as yeah. he's trying to take his power away. He almost gets trapped oh, okay. in the so, darkness. So what happens is, is uh, he he basically disappears like right before this big fight. And like everyone's basically planning on defending them, themselves and because the Fire Nation is basically coming into like... Not necessarily destroy, destroy the Earth Kingdom. Yeah, they're 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 coming in. To, they're coming in for another attack. They've been content for this long. They're t they're tired. They're like, this is we are going to establish ourselves um, because they figure out that a that an eclipse happens and all the Firebenders lose their power. But then something else happens. Like the sun is somehow closer, so all the powers is intensified. No, it's the comet. The comet. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the comet comes, and there's some sort of property with this comet that allows the Firebender's powers to be even more intense. So, um, the what happened? But Aang disappears, and somehow f finds himself on this island that seems to be moving, and it turns out it's this giant uh, sea turtle lion, <laughs> uh, or lion sea turtle. Who gives him the ability to take away the Fire Lord's bending? To the little, the little ability to bend, bending, <laughs> which gets brought up instantaneously in Korra in the yeah. very first season. It's like, oh, you want to talk about taking away someone's bending? We can do that too. <laughs> so, in talking with villains in the uh, the Korra ones, kind of like how it was this one family. It's they're not all within one family, but there is a dynamic villain for each of the four seasons in Korra. Um, the first one being Amon, who, that was the other one I was trying to think of. He is voiced by, uh, oh, it's Don, um, or, it, he's Spike Spiegel. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very, uh, specific voice. Uh, or Steve Bloom. That's who it, that's who it is. So, Steve Bloom is, uh, a great voice uh, actor who has been around for a long, long time. So he, uh, so Amon is basically kind of, an, he's, he's an anti-bending. He's an equalist. He's an equalist. He's anti-bending. He says the only good thing, like, because there are, um, several gangs that have taken. The have, triads. The triads, yep. which take advantage of earthbending, firebending, and waterbending to make, uh, life miserable for the people like a mob. And so he's like, well, the only good bender is no bender. And so he has the ability to take away a person's bending. So the whole, the whole impetus, the whole argument of book one is about should people be allowed to have these powers? Because this, yeah. is, this is a power not distributed by right. It is just randomly assigned to people. So should it be allowed to be that way? And so, uh, it turns out, uh, what what happens is this whole this whole thing is about that he believes or that he's doing this because he wants only himself to have the power in the um, in like the entire world and he actually tries to get rid of because um, Tenzin Aang's son um, has his own children and three of his children have airbending abilities all three of them have. Um, airbending abilities. Tenzin's children do. Yes, yes. Tenzin's children. Not Aang's children, Tenzin's children. Um, all three of his children have uh, 
a bending uh, ability. So mm. um, they actually bring them up at one point. Cora is afraid of Amon because she doesn't want her bending because that's like her person. That's her her whole identity. Um, so uh, Amon is a good villain to start off with because he's not very dynamic, and you could tell. They were hoping to be able to have him come more so later on or to use other villains that they brought up with him at the same point later on, but they kind of wrapped it all up. So the prob the problems with the villains in the first season is because they weren't fully explored because they didn't think they had They're gonna time. They're going to get again, so. yeah. So, so then book two... Book two is actually a little bit more dealing with family because... Um, her uncle, who is the leader of the Southern Water Tribe, Northern. This, Northern Water Tribe at this point, is actually trying to invade people. He's actually trying to... He takes over the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, he starts a civil war. Uh, yeah. And he's her uncle. And is directly opposed to Cora's father. Yeah, and her father is the leader of the Southern, Southern Water, Tribe. Water Tribe. So it's a very weird uh, dynamic, but... Um, but he's also trying to take control of the spirit world because he is working with the ultimate bad spirit, who is um, Vatu. the Vatu, who is actually the um, the yang to the yin. You'd say. Yeah, I, I really would. I really would say that because uh, we come to find out the life of the first Avatar, who fused with the good spirit Rava to imprison Vatu in his giant tree, which is what uh, Unlock's trying to take out. And again. The idea about the villains being not just pure evil and pure good, like in um, in Avatar, the the, the, uh, uh, the Fire Lord Ozai is just a bad. He just wants to take over and control, and that's it. Um, they try to make the villains more complex in Korra. The first one, Amon, is playing the role, at least, of an equalist, yeah. of someone who wants everyone to have the same abilities, to no one to have special yeah, powers. He, he, he ends up being a fraud, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And they, they kind of, like, let it go. They're, like, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, he's a fraud. So, <laughs> in the book two, he... Uno actually feels that what he's doing is the right thing, that the yeah. spirits have been trapped for too long, and he has to release them but without going about it the right way. Yeah, so and he he's dealing with a harmonic convergence, which allows the um, airbenders to re, uh, repopulate. repopulate. So, which is how book three's so, villain escapes. Which, um, I'm going to skip ahead to book four real quick. I know quick why, because, but go ahead to book four. Uh, so book four, the, uh, the villain is uh, the general... Kuvira. Kuvira for the Earth Kingdom because... The Earth Kingdom is kind of like in a is is stale. Like uh, how there the, are a lot of raiders. They are not the great nation they once were. Yeah, the 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 rich elitists are more rich and more elite, and the, the poor are even poorer. Yeah, so it's like the separation has widened extremely more so. So as head of security, she actually gets everyone to be loyal to her. Uh, to win an uprising against the throne, um, they take out uh, the oh, queen. Yeah, they oh, actually, yeah. they actually kill. Actually, no. Book three is where they kill. No, I thought it was book four. Well, look at the little Wikipedia thing right here that the Earth Queen dies in book oh. three. Hmm. Yeah, there was a the the Prince Wu is who's supposed to take over the throne. Now that there is no, now that there is no queen, like, well, they we yeah. have to get the next line of the throne, and she's yeah. like, nope. 
we're done now with Royals. Yeah, they, they this tried, is our time. They tried to bring him in, and he's like, and like, they're, he's just a terrible leader. But she's a crazy strong badass. Yeah, she isn't. She is probably the most, the most dynamic of the three that we've talked about because she believes what she's doing is right. She's doing it for her people. She's doing it for equality, but she's doing it as a dictator. Yeah. So she, and I, I it's, it's really kind of unfair of her but she is kind of the hitler of this world i wouldn't say that well hitler rebuilt germany to... in a historical sense the idea that a broken country needed a strong leader yeah that's 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 power. what i mean yeah like she there she wasn't about the segregation and everything like that but that the, the, sorry that's what i mean yeah so. she didn't say no bending it was just like we must all be loyal to one person and that person is me we can have yeah. no outliers yeah because cora's going through a lot of stuff so she's like well it's got to be me because cora's you know barely even here and, and we uh finally get to, to a giant metal robot which is what yeah. this series has been missing this entire time is giant metal robots <laughs> uh, so cora actually has electricity in the series so it's kind of a neat little touch so. it's a very um rudimentary 18 uh, no 1910s you'd say 1910s 1920s there's like there's a, mix, there's a mix between like the late 1800s and the early 1900s that kind of gets mixed well, in, let's so. do season three which i always knew was the minute you knew who the voice actor was i knew he was going to be your favorite villain well and even still uh kuvera tries to take over the world um aman tries to get rid of bending as a whole uh and then uh, uh unalak Wants to uh, release the spirits, which he does. Uh, uh, but he, he does. Wants, he accomplishes But he wants it. to be in control. And he was never going to get to he be in control. He was never going to. Like be every because, person who's released uh, a giant, any person who's released a giant, scary, evil, you ain't, you ain't in control no more, buddy. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, and he, just, he was trying to control an ancient evil called Fatu. So all of those are kind of external conflicts that still Korra has to deal with. Season three is literally turn. is a literally the villain um, who Zaheer. is Zahir, who uh, is a devious mastermind. He's already been a criminal before this, and he's yeah. been locked away in a prison from which there is no escape until Harmonic Convergence gives him the power of airbending. Yeah, and he meets up with this. Uh, a, his, posse. his posse, one of which is a armless woman who is a waterbender. So cool! What a cool concept. Yeah, I think the the other guy was an earthbender. I want to say, and then the last person was the combustion. Combustion guy. The, com, well, no, combustion, combustion man. No, combustion woman. Combustion woman. That's right. Because so, it was, was Combustion Man in Avatar, and now yep. it's Combustion Woman. So uh, the Red Lotus. But, the Red Lotus, exactly, yeah. The Red Lotus, kind of an anti-White Lotus, who was a kind of a secret society in the first series. That who, Iroh was a part of. Exactly. Um, but the in the second series uh, is more of a... They, they, they're much more out in the open, and yeah. um, they're, they're the ones that, you know, raise and train Katara, when she, or Korra, when she's young. and mm -hmm. um, So, but... Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little biased because Zahir is voiced by one of the greatest people in the world, Henry Rollins, um, who I've <laughs> got to meet in person and I've listened to. He, he does. He's actually was the uh, uh, the main singer. He wasn't the first singer, but he was the main singer for Black Flag. Henry Rollins band. He's done a ton. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Look up his spoken word stuff because all he does is tell stories and they're amazing. There are just 
amazing. Um, so, um, yeah. I didn't realize that it was his voice until halfway through the season. I'm like, oh my god, I think I'll rewatch the first <laughs> up now. I was, I was so, I was like, oh my god. I was so happy. So, with, um, it, it, he, his whole thing is that it's not that he wants to get rid of bending. He wants to unite everybody. Fire, water, earth, air, non-bending. He, he wants to end the reign of the Avatar. Exactly. The important thing that happens at the end of book two is that... Uh, yeah, book two is that uh, Korra loses her connection to her previous Avatar. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's, that's book three. Well, yes, the idea is that he's trying to end the Avatar state, period. He's trying to make it yeah, so the Avatar can never be reborn. He wants to, because he wants just us to take care of ourselves. We don't need a peacemaker telling us how to run the world. We are going to take care of ourselves. We need to end this because it's dangerous to have you with that much power around. Yeah, he doesn't, he's, um, he's almost kind of like a Stalin type thing, you know, like, spread the wealth type thing but i don't know why i keep uh comparing just keep these guys comparing to, people to terrible dictators uh it's a terrible dictator so and i'm not trying to say stalin was a good guy or hitler was a good guy because that's not what i'm trying to say at all uh they uh they killed the earth queen who has been previously a total bitch and completely unhelpful oh, terrible Sephora. terrible a, a person who you know the the uber rich having people spend money on her fancy palace while people are dying and starving so yeah. they they straight up kill her like yep it's it's very much like um well, let's make another batman reference it's like rachel ghoul and his society who yeah. topple kingdoms I, to bring balance i yeah i would say he's a mix between rach which very good uh, thought on that. Uh, mix between Raish and Hugo Strange. Yeah. So, um, uh, the the character himself is almost monk-like. Oh, yes. But a terrorist monk, so it's a very... Soft-spoken. Yeah, he's, he, he, he's very devious, but he's not undercutting. He's the only one who gets to come back. In season four, he comes back yeah. to actually help her because she cannot get back to where she was. She's been yep. poisoned. She can... By so here, she cannot get back to where she was. She's been left in a wheelchair, unable to reconnect, and she actually has to get help from him because she is terrified of him and what he's yeah. done to her. And so, so that's that's who my favorite character is. Now we've kind of we've dealt with this our favorite villain. We've dealt with the story um, a good a good chunk, and we've dealt with characters. Um, we've we've got maybe a couple other things to talk about, but. I do want to kind of say there is one big difference in these two in these two series. Now, I'm probably going to be alone in this, and if I am, so be it. Um, I liked Aang. I still don't like Korra. I thought she was like I thought she was headstrong and like. But, like, in a badass way in the first series. And, like, she kind of, she goes up and down. And, like, because she's, she, you know, she's a teenager. She's making it on her own. But they, like, they put this character through so much. And this character never truly, like, gets better. I don't know if it's, it was the direction, the writing, or the acting. It, it could have been a mix of all three but 
Korra might be my least favorite of the main characters. I'm really sorry to hear that. It's not because she's a strong-willed woman. It's not because she's a woman. It's, it's because she... An anti-hero is supposed to be someone who does uh, disreputable or irreputable An anti-hero is someone who does not do good because they want to. If they have to do it... They, they will, but they are not morally yeah. inclined to do the correct thing. Deadpool is a pretty good example, or at least the more modern iterations of him. Um, and and you you you've got your alignments and everything like that, but like, truth be told, the hero, like Ing Ing is the stereotypical like prophecy discover or um, uh, uh, the kid you know the kid the kid with the magical powers. But Aang is still a more dynamic character. He has fears. He actually, like, uh, goes crazy a little bit at one point because he is so sleep-deprived because he's so afraid of an attack that he he cannot go to sleep. He, he will not allow himself to go to sleep. Um, there's... <sighs> I don't know, Henry. I think you have to... Korra is just... But I think you had the problem on the head before is that Korra and Avatar are two wildly different stylistic choices of show. You have the young innocent who gets to remain innocent for the rest of the show. Even when he's dealing with really bad baddies, he never gets to lose, he never has to lose his child innocence. He's still fun and playful. He still hangs out with his friends. He still likes his flying monkey lemur. Yeah. He, he, uh, he, he gets to, he gets to pretty much maintain his happiness throughout the entire time, even when he has to undergo great development strife. But Cora is a girl who, from the moment she has, uh, was born, has, has been powerful and strong-willed and knows what she wants out of life. But every time we see her, she's having to deal with something that Aang would have never had to deal with. But, and she, but Aang had to deal with his own things. And they keep comparing her to Aang, which is kind of like one of the things... Well, that's what we're doing, too. Like, that's what we're, doing, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, but, uh, Aang I'm, is this way, why aren't you? Exactly. But I'm... I, even still, I try to hold her on her own account because I, I feel for the character how she keeps getting compared to Aang and how he's got to I be... I feel for her so bad because when Aang goes to the Earth Kingdom to try and reason with them and how they won't let him talk to anybody who's actually in charge, he's like, well, I guess we're going to go explore for a while. Korra, meanwhile, takes none of that. She's like, you will listen to me because this is important. And even though she doesn't have the diplo diplomacy or political correctness, I would much rather have a character who, realizing the intensity and necessary of the situation, be like, you will listen to me because what I have to say is important. And even then, she's gonna, she's constantly hounded by the press, which there was no press uh, in Aang's universe. So he, I, I get that. He, he was a wanted criminal for most of the series. No, he gets welcomed in the towns that he goes to. It's the some Avatar. Of them, some of them. But the thing is... Not it, by the cabbage it, farmer. Again, my cabbages! <laughs> um, but the, the issue with the characters are the characters themselves. I honestly feel like they wrote 
ain't a little bit too childish, but they wrote Cora way too adult. I don't mean like they made her too adult. They wrote her too adult. She is still a teenager. She's still, yeah, she's going to have these instances where she's unsure, where she's afraid, she's fearful, she's terrified. But how she deals with those situations is sh what shows her character. That's why I don't like her. There are times when I don't mind her, but most of the time I'm like... I find her incredibly realistic. In a way that Aang is I, oversimplified. I, I agree that Aang was oversimplified. But I feel like they put her... And not just they put her too, through too much... She is almost a caricature of um, real uh, real emotions. Well, maybe that's... That is a maybe, weird thing to say. Maybe that's too intense. A caricature of real emotions. That might, be, that might be too intense. She's more of... Um, she's... She's... She's a strong-willed woman, Aaron. I, 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 that does not scare me in the slightest. I don't think... She's not as likable as Aang, I'll give you that. It's not, but I don't think she's supposed to be. I think it's... But there's, half the time when she makes a decision, she makes the wrong decision. Like, and I'm not saying, like, in a season. I'm saying in the entire series. The only time she makes right decisions is when it's closer to the end of the season. She's not... And she's got to get through the villain. But she's not being given the ability to make the right decisions. We don't know what the right decision is until much later. She, we have no uh, there, context. There, there were some decisions that she made, even with smaller ones. I'm lost, like, in my head, I'm screaming, No, don't do that. That's, that is not a good decision. So well, We wonder how people make good decisions. The only one who makes consistently good decisions about the entire show is Asami. She only gets better and better at yeah. the things she does. When M Mako has his ups and downs. Bolin definitely has his ups and downs. They all leave, but... and what does she do? She keeps working on making the city a better place and working on her technology and keeping her father's business running after he turns out he was a terrible person, and yeah. she does everything right. <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, Sami. <laughs> so, we... We definitely spent way too much time on the whole plot of this, and... Um, I don't know everything. why. All these people clearly know what the plot is if they're listening to us. Exactly. So. Let's do some quick fire stuff. Okay. okay. Let's do it. Um, best animal sidekicks. I, I was ah! going to ask you the same question. It's got to be Pabu. I love Pabu. Uh, I love the... how I love how every character, I love how every animal character in this universe is always a mix of two things, like her wolf dog and <laughs> the her, only one is her the flying bear. bison, and then just a bear. Is it a is it a frog bear? No, it's just a bear. Is it a walrus bear? No, it's just a bear. Just a bear. What? And what? Name, and his name is Bosco, because of course it has to be. But uh, in the original series, there was Appa, who was a sky bison, which Appa was a cool character, and that was got to show Aang being not just oversimplified. Um, it allowed him to kind of have some depth and some growth as well. Um, and then there was Momo, who was the, uh, was like a ferret lemur, or he was a, he was a lemur. He was a monkey, yeah, some sort of lemur. Monkey lemur, monkey lemur thing. But he, he could, he could, he could, like, glide and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then, and then Katara, I liked all those, but I think that Korra really nailed with really cool animal designs, because, uh, Korra has Naga. There's not as many of the animals in the... In the city, in so. In the city, so. So, but, more. uh, Korra gets Naga, who's a polar bear dog, which is just, okay. like, the best combination of animals I would want as a pet, and, uh, 
then Pabu, Pabu, who is my favorite. Like Mo Momo is like the cutesy character, and Appa is the um, the big, the strong. Well, the the Avatar always has an animal companion. I believe I believe that's I believe that was kind of a thing. I'll definitely explained. be I'll be okay if that is accepted because I want every Avatar to have an animal sidekick. <laughs> I believe that's. I don't what, recall I remember, Juan having anyone. The first Avatar. No, Juan Juan was probably the first one without it. But they like there was a reason why they do it. It's something about with helping with the spirits too. But the thing is that that's why Appa is with uh, with Aang. Is because he is his spirit companion. Or his well, every companion. Uh, every air nomad got a flying bison. Yes, they did. Um, but that's why Korra has Nagas because it's an animal uh, companion. So, but Pabu in the uh, <laughs> the the Korra series is the cutesy character. But God dang it, is he cuter than Momo? Oh, so much cuter! I love red pandas to death. So it was so much fun to see a a red panda like, and he's not even. He's a mix. Of, he's a red panda, which is a, kind of like a mix of a raccoon and a panda in the first but, place. But he's a red panda. He, it's it's still an animal mix. Well, I'm gonna still, have to look this up now. Uh, so yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go, Pabu. So. Uh, I do love Pabu too. Uh, uh, as far as what animal I'd have in real life, I'd uh, he's a fire ferret. Is what yeah, Pabu see, is. So, um, which they named their team after the, oh, so they, oh, and oh, yeah. the series. Oh, yeah, the sport. Which, which it's they It's like do. Quidditch in, it's like Harry Potter Quidditch. It's like, it's here, but boy, does it really not matter the first, once the plot the gets first going. series, they were all about it. From then on, they did not care. Did not care one whit about it. <laughs> so, all right, going on the next, uh, uh, Spitfire. Oh, let's see, uh, next Spitfire, um, best character overall. In both series, you can see from Avatar and then from Korra. All right, so if I'm gonna go best character from uh, Avatar or The Last Airbender, it would either have to be Zuko or uh, Katara because they had the most growth throughout the series. Um, they uh, were able to have fun, but they also were able to do the serious moments. Um, you are stealing my answers. Well, if if I didn't do that, honestly, Sokka. Sokka was like Sokka was just the comedic relief for the longest time, and then like all of a sudden, he is like the like the plan guy. He's uh, the leader. He he becomes like he is the leader, and in in, in the chorus series, he is actually the leader of Republic City for a long time. Um, I I think he passes away before the start of the series. Well, yeah. So. Did you did you love how we actually get to see Katara meet Korra? How sweet that was. Yeah. Well, no, they knew each other. You never saw them meet, but... You, we they, get to they, see them together on screen, yeah. and it's it's such a cool moment because you realize that she is seeing her husband's reincarnation in this girl, and what an interesting yeah. concept to play with. Um, so, uh, in, a, in a second series, probably got to be either Asami or Mako. Mako loses out because he can be dumb. Uh, I know that sounds terrible, <laughs> but Mako makes these decisions. It kind of like it's M poor Mako and poor Korra sometimes make decisions that you're just like, come on. They're like horror movie character <laughs> decisions bad. So um, there's there are a lot of great characters in Avatar. However, the cast list isn't as expansive. In Korra, god dang is the list expansive. So, 
Um, I would have to say Fakora, uh, just for the growth they have over the entire series. Uh, Varric and Julie. <laughs> you just like it how because how they ended. So. Julie, do the thing. I just love the long suffering person who clearly has just. Just the, all the power in this relationship because she knows what to do when the guy's just this crazy inventor just throwing ideas at the wall. The, the Kiff and Zaf Brannigan dynamic. Absolutely. <laughs> Alright, so uh, least favorite character from the first series? Jet. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting choice. Instantaneous Jet. Everyone else has a redeeming quality, but Jet just felt like, uh, oh, we need to make... And Katara have relationship troubles. Let's throw in a bad boy who thinks he's doing the right thing by I killing love his people. Hook swords, though. Oh yeah, the hook swords are yeah. cool, but he's um, such a nothing character. They they do not play him the way they should, which is they're trying to go for a Robin Hood thing. I totally feel that, but the minute he decides to drown a village full of people, I'm like, dude, nope. Uh, I have to go with. Um... I don't know. You don't know because I picked the right one. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I might have to come back to that one if we have time. <laughs> um, so, least favorite character of the second series. Um, Ooh, surprisingly. The the father? No, the, uh, the uncle. uncle. Yeah, he was terrible. He and I can't get behind, I never understand the villain whose motivation is, I will release the big bad evil, but it will be beholden to me because I released it. I'm like, have you seen nothing from pop culture? Do you not know anything about how the world works? You will be instantaneously squished like a bug the minute that thing gets free. You will have no say in the matter afterwards. Yeah, it's, I, yeah. It, <laughs> they, it's not, um... Um, favorite character from the second, uh... Uh, Beifong, actually. Beifong is pretty cool. Yeah. I, no I, nonsense. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate... She goes through a little growth. Um, well, her and her sister, yeah. like, I thought I would like her sister more, and then it turns out that there was a reason not to, and that she was justified, but they're still sisters, they still work it out by the end, which is nice. Kind of remind me of you and your sister just a little bit. Not <laughs> entirely. Not um, entirely, I hope. Uh, so, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I have to go Cora. Unfortunately, wow. With my yeah, I, it's it's bad. I feel I'm, so sorry for you. You must have hated watching the show. Not like the I main didn't hate character. the. That's the thing is, I didn't hate the show. No, I like. I just hated when she was in it. What about, was, that, what about Tenzin's boy, the annoying kid? He was annoying. So annoying. But, like that's ain't uh, on all his annoying levels set up on high. He's not, he is definitely not on my favorite list. I can tell you that. Um, but. I, I gotta go. I gotta go, Cora, for the for the second series. First one, I, I don't know. Like, I don't like how they did um, uh, Sokka's girlfriend, uh, Suki. Suki, when she came back, she came back. She was more of a damsel in distress rather than being. She helped work out her own escape. She helped contribute to that. I never felt. Yeah. She, I mean, she was a warrior. I never once got a damsel in distress vibe from yeah. her. But even still, there was there are some issues. There, there are some there are plenty of issues. Let's talk about with, some uh, well, good stuff. Um, some uh, I was going to say uh, memorable moments from 
anyone. Uh, we were talking about the Ember Island players. Yeah. So great. Uh, my cabbages was pretty funny. Um, the, the, the foaming mouth guy. Uh, all everyone's splitting up to go try and find Aang after he disappears in season three, and Toph going with Zuko because she wants to have her own life changing experience <laughs> with him, and she never gets it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Zuko and Iroh's relationship was pretty cool. Uh, the badass moment during the eclipse where Aang doesn't get to fight um, Ozai, but Zuko goes in and is like, "I'm going to teach the Avatar fire." I'm leaving you, Father. I'm and I'm I am turning against you. Oh, uh, that was pretty badass. When when he turns on Uncle Iroh at the end of season two, and they spend the whole season three just with Iroh being locked up, and then finally he goes in the tent and, and his back is towards him, and he apologizes for what well, snot he was and all the terrible things he did, and how you're the only one ever stood by me. And then Uncle Iroh just turns around, and just grabs him in a hug. Oh my God. God. <laughs> Oh, Iroh was the father that he needed, and Zuko was the son that he never had, or that he lost. Iroh is uh, one of my favorite characters. You know what? I think I gotta change. I gotta say Iroh. I think, yeah, you're right. It's so so wonderful. What a wonderful character, just just, overall. Well-written and uh, well-developed. So, the, um, so, uh, memorable, the thing is, is the fight sequences in the first series were good. But the the Korra... They got so good. Like, that is something that they held on to. Like, that was, like, their bread and butter from beginning of season one to the end of season four. Like, every fight sequence, like... It's cinematic. Every single one is cinematic. Um, There's a lot of really cool scenes. (laughs) Um, I really liked whenever she finally got to meet Aang. Okay, so if we're talking about favorite things, that is my... I, I, I rage about that a little bit. The fact that she lost access to all the other... I know. That was so stupid. Storytellers, that is a really lame thing to do. After you introduce the idea that you can communicate with all of your previous incarnations... Especially because it is a character that people want to see and want to see her communicate with. Because how many times did Aang talk with... uh, What's-his-face? Yeah. The the, the The firebender who was before him. Exactly. He talked to him plenty of times. He went four back. He went four back trying to figure out how to defeat the firebender without killing him because everyone before him has had to kill somebody who would not change their mind, who would only stand their ground. Uh, I, I do... I agree with you on that. It seemed a really unfair move by the creators to be like, I know you wanted this. But it's it was very it was very George R. R. Martin. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to see that character again? Too bad he's dead. Yeah, they like they they were like, no, we want to introduce you to yet more characters. Like, okay, do that, but keep it. It like it was a cop out, so they didn't have to keep writing these kind of homages in. But they did. They made some decisions. They had characters make decisions that were stupid. So, um, memorable moments from the second series have got to be anything with uh, Julie and... Um, Varric. And Varric. Oh, Bolin doing those... The, uh, the, the talkies. The, the speakers. Or, or, uh, those were funny as hell. No, as in the nook of the north. <laughs> nook. Uh, uh. Um, the, the fire... The, um, the, the bending tournaments. The... Um, uh, the sport. Yeah, the, the sport that they cool. play. It, that was a great way to introduce just the idea of combat without actual fighting in the yep. first. Uh, it's just like, that's how we play the game, so that's how you got to play it. Um, and uh, there's um, there's, a, there's a lot of really great 
crazy great scenes in uh, 3, just with um, uh, the Red Lotus. Oh, yeah. Just with those really amazing characters, a lava bender, a combustion woman, armless woman who can bend waters, all these really great characters to pull in. Um, and uh, then uh, we have all the giant mech suits finally come out for season 4, because you can tell you've been waiting for all this time. We can finally put a robot suit in our anime. Because it's not anime, but it's as close to an anime as you're ever going to get on Nickelodeon. I feel, I feel like the story overall is stronger with the first series, this, but the the conceptual conceptualization and the... Um, uh, creativity of the second series. This, the idea of, um, the minute they started showing, uh, Vatu, and, um, what is, uh... Uh, uh, uh Ra, something. Rana, Rana, Rana. Rava. Uh, Rava, yeah. The, the idea of the first Avatar. Like, how cool is that to see? I just, I love watching how that worked out. That how... was a cool, I think it was a two-parter. That was a cool set. The, the, like... And to bring the idea, it's a mythology within the mythology. It's yeah. it's a really cool part to have to really and make the world a lot bigger. And it, the, the designs of Rava and uh, Vati, you could tell they were going for a yin-yang without being a yin-yang. Yeah, these... they almost look like kites. It was so They cool. did look like kites. So, All the spirit worlds. Um, oh, when she turns into a giant monster to go... I know, like, again, like, you could tell, like, all these anime tropes, they've just been foaming at the bit to use, like, yeah. can we please put giant monsters in a bay of water around a city? Ooh, ooh, can we put a giant mech suit in the middle of the sea that shoots fireballs? So, and the thing is, is one thing that is absolutely consistent from the beginning of the first series to the end of the second series is the animation. Yes. They took their time, they did things right. It is always quality. It is always high level Miyazaki-esque uh, animation. Especially when you get to Spirit World. Oh, it's all yeah. Miyazaki in yeah, there. Yeah, that's 100%. Uh, that is and the, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the face of like a thousand, the Spirit of a Thousand Faces. Oh, yeah. Like that like that whole creature design was just like uh, the big uh, black thing from, oh. Uh, Spirited Away. Spirited Away. Thank yeah. you, Aaron. So, um, oh, what oh, other spirit? Best, uh, best, best part of Korra is the announcer. Yeah. Last Andrew's week on Legend of Korra. <laughs> previously on Legend of Korra, we saw our we saw Team Avatar take to the skies. You know, oh yeah, it's so, so great. What a great addition. <laughs> so and there's there's some great moments. Bolin usually helps bring things up, bring bring up the the quality. He's he's a pretty good character as well. So um here, you give me a Spitfire question. Right? Uh, I've given you a couple. I mean, we've, we've kind of gone back and forth, so... Um, okay, the final Spitfire question. Okay. The the Spitfire question to end it and to to end all the Spitfire questions. Ooh, that's a big one. Korra or Aang? No, I'm sorry. We already did that one. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I meant, sorry. I meant Legend of Korra or The Last Airbender. Oh, okay. Well... As a whole. As a whole. As a whole, you know, um, I think, I think I know, I know what my answer is, but I want to make sure I say it right. Um, I like Legend of Korra, but it is no Avatar. There is a reason that it did so well that you could have another series come from the same world expanded. The characters are compelling. Um, they're all complex and likable. 
even if you like to hate them. Mm -hmm. um, the story is simple in the idea of it, yet complex in the execution. And while I do like the risks that Korra takes and exploring a different side of humanity with each villain in each season, I do feel not only because it came first, because it did it first right, that Avatar has to be my favorite of the two series. I would probably have to agree. Um, I felt like the first one, they had this idea, um, four nations that are literally divided by what element that they can, um, that they can use to their advantage, um, four different types of, you know, uh, communities, a, um, a almost dictator kingdom, um, a more of a, uh, not a communist kingdom, but like a, uh, well, that does bring up the idea. Two, there's, there's there's two kingdoms, and there's tribes, and then there's like a um, a nomad. And they group. use the character yeah. designs to reflect uh, cultures of our own that makes sense. Like the Fire Nation being a very small nation based on landmass, but having a very far-reaching effect. Being a Japanese-looking culture, mm -hmm. your uh, your Inuit culture your water yeah. tribe ones being much more of an eskimo flavor because they have to deal with uh, the harsh winters the the water the, the cold, bright sun you know. all that so you do definitely see the werewolf influences there yeah you, uh the the airbenders almost look tibetan so exactly it's, and it's and you and the thing is is this show is so multicultural that after a while you stop seeing what kind of race they could be and you it just be, enjoy what it's they diverse are. without saying to the audience Hey, we know we have to be diverse because we live in this culture now, so make sure you noticed our black character walking by. It's yeah. not that. Yeah, it's not like throw it in your face diverse. It's diverse because it's diverse. So it's um I the first one I I I mean we as we said very much earlier, <laughs> uh we devoured it. I mean like it was it enthralled us. We wanted to finish it, we wanted to get to the end, we wanted to say we're done. Not because we just, we had to finish it, but we wanted to finish it. Korra, I felt like we had to finish it. We just had to get through just to, to give it the proper respect. So, um, I liked what the, the, the imagination and the creativity for Korra, like having the cars, the, 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 the mech suits. And there were higher the stakes when people died, people died in Korra and stayed dead. Yep. There were, there was, it, it was a much more adult show. However, that worked against it to us in a sense as well. It's not a bad series. Uh, we recommend both. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the I'd watch issue. and I would watch them in order. I'd watch Avatar first, then Korra, yeah. just because you'll get an idea of the world they inhabit, which will help you understand Korra. Yeah. Do not jump ahead to Korra without watching any of the Avatar, uh, the last Airbender yeah. stuff, because you a you'll be confused at some of the references they make, and b it it establishes this world. It's almost like um, 
I mean, you can watch The Lord of the Rings without watching The Hobbit, but The Hobbit kind of helps set things up. Well, you, well, at this point, honestly, even though The Hobbit's a prequel, I would not watch The Hobbit before Lord of the Rings, even oh, though it takes place chronologically that way. Yeah. Lord of the Rings came out first, established the universe for viewers, and now you can go watch The Hobbit because we already set up how the world works. I'm, I'm not going to say prequel to the original trilogy. I'm going to say the original trilogy to Force Awakens and then um, The Last yes. Jedi. So, Without seeing the original trilogy, it's hard to walk into Force Awakens. You'll yeah, miss some things. Exactly. So, um, with um, so I guess with our final thoughts um, after a very very long time. So thank you for sticking with us. I think this is just as long as Gilmore Girls. Probably. Um, it's but it'll probably be closer to one of our longer episodes. Uh, but with. Uh, Truth be told, um, the the Avatar: The Last Airbender is a great series. I can't wait to share it with our kids. Yeah, I I that's gonna be something like where they can't watch it without us. Not because they they it's too intense for them. It's I want to experience it with them. It goes on the shelf with Disney, no question. Yeah, it it is one of the best kids series to have come out of Nicky, Nickelodeon. And we forget and now, we're kind of living in the golden age with uh, Gravity Falls and Steven Universe. There was yeah. a time when kid shows did not have to be anything spectacular and Avatar... Well, we're still in that age, I'm, the okay. problem is. is that, but there's shows that are combating that, like Steven Universe and Gravity Falls, and like even Loud House apparently is getting that and too. And Adventure Time. Yeah, the, you have these shows that are Take combating... risks. yeah. But then you have, like, breadwinners and... Well, it's a risk to expose a, a show a show so much like anime to a general audience, especially children who have no exposure to that. Yeah, and see, and the funny thing is, is Liz has a little bit of exposure to anime, and I have a lot of exposure to anime, and and it still appeals to both of us. Yes. They, they um... We'll do a quick aside, like the quickest of asides, in that I'm not sure I always, all the time understand or appreciate Eastern storytelling in a way that I immediately understand and appreciate Western storytelling. When I watch an anime or a, a movie directed by uh, Hayao Miyazaki or uh, another uh, Eastern director, there are, there are pauses and weird character movements that I do not understand culturally that Aaron automatically gets like, ah, oh, they, they just, they always are making noise and sighing or making some sort of thing, but they don't move very much. Whereas me, I'm used to Western animation where the character is always moving, but not always saying or making a sound. Yeah, it's um, Eastern filmmaking or East, Eastern storytelling, especially with animation, they allow the moments to be uh, longer to, um, to develop more, to, um, to marinate, if you will. Mm -hmm. Because um, I think, I think uh, Avatar, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick learned a lot from that, too. So. I think Avatar blends Western storytelling um, with Eastern uh, visual and culture. The, everything. Yeah. I mean, like, all of these, almost every aspect of the show, storytelling, writing, directing, animation, um, acting, all of these aspects of the show easily is influenced by both sides, yes. by Western and Eastern. So which is good. It's and, and it's it is well done. Well, it's got its flaws. God, yes, it's got its flaws. Um, the, the episode where the the two tribes the uh, Great like, Divide, like, which oh, if you watched uh, if you want to watch 
a top 10 best uh, Avatar episodes, go watch Nostalgia Tritic, because he does the top worst, and the worst episode is The Great Divide. By him, by fans, by all it, accounts, it is. it is a terrible episode. You don't have to watch that one. It, it Like, honestly, I remember you and I were watching it, or some, something happened. Like, I remember it being, like, one of the first episodes I saw, or, like... I remember, like, we had not watched for a long time, and this was the first episode that we watched coming back into. Like, we had taken a break from watching, and this was the first episode. And I was almost like, should we even continue? And then we got past it, and it was fine. Yeah, but then it was immediately followed by The Blue Spirit, which is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, that one was pretty good. So, um, there's there's a lot of greats about this series. Of course, again, it has its flaws, but it they're easy to look past. So, uh, it's not hard to make that choice. It feels bad because Korra made so many... Uh, took so many chances. Yeah, I really appreciate with, like, what Korra did. Yeah. I, I think it is a matter of respect. Knowing what Avatar did, it feels like you do owe this show your time and attention. And I think that's it speaks to the, the quality of both of those shows. So, um, we, uh, we very much appreciate you guys staying on and letting us rant for way too long <laughs> about two shows that have both ended at this point. Um, and... When will we get on the popularity train, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we did Wonder Woman pretty damn quick. Very so. quick, that's true. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe we'll, uh, we've got a, a movie coming up soon that we're gonna be viewing and we've actually got two which i actually think maybe our next two episodes mm -hmm. so um if you uh if you guys would like to uh we again we are always look in the yeah we're always looking for suggestions so look in the descriptor below for where you can tweet at us or message us about uh what you think we should review and as you can see we will go back to the past we will not just stick to current <laughs> pop culture <laughs> we are not the nostalgia critic However, we will do nostalgia things. Oh, absolutely. Nostalgia is so. the best. So, um, we, uh, we appreciate you guys listening to us, and uh, we hope that your uh, butts aren't too sore from sitting around <laughs> listening to us this whole time. So, <laughs> until next time, she's Elizabeth. He's Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.